Morning, good to see you this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here as well. Um, and it is great to see you on this celebration morning that we have. Really, really good to see you. And who wouldn't want to join a, a church which gives free trolley coins? Seriously, <laughs> come on, guys. You know what I mean? Like, we are in Matthew chapter 3 today. So we've got your Bibles. If you'd open them up in front of you. If you haven't got a Bible, there's one in front of you in the, in the pews at the back. So just grab that one. If you, if you don't own one, that can be yours as well. To take, and it's going to be Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through to, to 17. They will be on the screen for you, the words as well, but it will be good because we'll be before and after this passage just for you to be able to have it in front of you and to see where it is that we are in, in God's word. So, we as a church, we've just finished the book of Nehemiah, which closed 2,400 years ago, and we left God's people in a really desperate place. And then there was 400 years of, of waiting in silence under the rule of the Roman Empire. And, and God's people, there's a desperation, there's a desperateness for, them, for God to save them, for God's promised king to deliver them. And today what we're going to see is how God was good for his promise. So let me pray. Let's ask for God's help to, to hear from him in his word. Father, thank you so much for what we have already done this morning, for the grace of just being able to sing together to sing the truths of who you are and who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ by your Spirit. Father, we just pray as we open your word now that, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, my, my heart and our hearts will be acceptable in your sight because, Lord, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Thus is it, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Why was Jesus Christ baptized? That's what we're going to look at today. And to answer that, we need to go back a little bit in Matthew's gospel, a little bit in, bit in the story. So there was 400 years of, of hope, 400 years of, of waiting, for 400 years of silence. And then what happens is a voice ripples out from the wilderness and it reaches the ears of the people of, God who've been wait, uh, the people of God who've been waiting for this word from God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first half of, of Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, describes the scene for us. So we're in the Judean desert. The Judean wilderness. And what it is, it's a mountain desert. So it's hot and it's dusty and it's isolated. It's a really empty place and yet it's full of memory and it's full of meaning for God's people. Because the wilderness is the place that God had called them, led them, formed them. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The voice that is proclaiming it is the voice of John the Baptist. He's got a message from God. We think of him as a bit of a strange guy by today's standard. He's dressed in camel's hair, tied at the waist by a leather belt, and he's eaten locusts and honey. And this man, he has a very significant role to pray, play. You see, the Old Testament prophets had told God's people that before God 
came or God was coming, he was to deliver them, he would send a messenger. So before God came, he would send a voice to cry out in the wilderness, a messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord to come, a messenger who will prepare a people ready for God. And Matthew's showing us this is him. This is God's messenger. This is the one who the prophets were speaking about. And so if John the, John the Baptist is God's messenger, that means that God is coming. And John, he prepared the people by baptizing them. And we read in chapter 3 that the baptism was a baptism of repentance and con- confession. The baptism of repentance was a sign of, of people being cleansed and purified. And what's really interesting in reading this is that the baptism like this for the Jews was usually administered to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And it would be a means and a way to actually bring them into the people of God. So it would be threefold. There would be like a bath of baptism. There would be circumcision and then there would be sacrifice. And this bath, this baptism element was to wash away any Gentile impurity. To get them ready to be a part of the people of God. So what's John doing here? He's getting people ready. He's getting the repentant Jews ready to be a part of this new people of God. And that moves us one step closer. To answering our first question, why was Jesus baptized? There's a new people being formed here. Johnny makes it clear just before our passage in verse 9 that the Jews, they couldn't rely on their Jewishness. God's people are to be defined by repentance and confession. That means an, an acknowledgement of sin, a need and a desire to be cleansed, a need and a desire to be right before God. So what John is doing here is he's calling a circumcised nation who already considered themselves God's people to humbly confess their sins and need for cleansing in light of God's coming judgment. Because he outlines for them here that when God comes, he's going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire, there's going to be judgment. But what's really surprising is the next thing that happens in verse 13. The Lord Jesus Christ, he goes from Galilee to Jordan to where John is to be baptized by him. And John, when Jesus comes, he's very, very confused. He's basically saying to him, you don't need to be baptized by me. He's saying this, look, this this is for sinful people. For those that need to repent and confess sin. Jesus Christ, he didn't need to confess and repent of sin because, well, he had no sin. Jesus Christ didn't need to be purified. He didn't need to be made right because he was pure and he was right. But what's really clear in this passage is that Jesus Christ instigated this. He actually went and found John for this very purpose. Let it be so, Jesus actually says really clearly, let it be so. And he gives the reason, verse 15, and the reason to fulfill all righteousness. This is huge. It was fitting for the Lord Jesus Christ to be baptized. So so what's happening here? What's going on? And to understand this, we need to step back a little bit further and take a look at the whole story. You see, right at the beginning, humanity was created to be in perfect, righteous, loving, joyful relationship with God. And the first human, Adam, whose name means man, was actually our representative. So in that garden, paradise, Eden, he had everything that he needed for life, everything for joy, everything for fullness. But he rebelled. He rejected God's loving rule and reign. And sin entered into the world. And humanity was cast from the presence of God. Death, not life, became a reality. 
meaninglessness, hopelessness, emptiness, despair became the realities of the human existence. Infection, corruption, decay, every bad thing that we experienced has as its starting point this moment. Adam, our representative, failed in not fulfilling the righteousness and the righteous requirements to be in right relationship with God. And the whole created order tumbled with him. The consequences for our relationship with God and our relationship with each other was disastrous. But in that most dark of moments, God spoke words of hope. God promised to make it right. He promised that he would send someone, someone that would fix what man had broken. And then if you read the Old Testament, we see this this promise, it expands and opens up and it appears to be bearing fruit in some way in Israel. So Israel are God's chosen people in the Old Testament. He actually calls them his son. And they are a people who are called to represent humanity before God, to display what it means to live in relationship with God before a watching world. But they fail, as does every king, every leader who comes and leads and represents the people of God. They don't fulfill that righteousness that is required for people to be in relationship with God. So humanity is still separated from right relationship with God in desperate need of a savior, in desperate need for God to act, for his king, for God's representative, for our representative to come and to deliver them for someone who was able to fulfill righteousness that was required by God to live in relationship with him. And that's where Jesus Christ steps in to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus Christ is God coming. Jesus Christ is God's king, fully God, fully man. And he steps in as our human representative He doesn't need to repent or confess because he's sinless. But he steps into a life of full obedience before God in our place. That's what he steps into. And as our representative, he is baptized in the waters of repentance. So what he's doing here as he is baptized into these waters, he's identifying with his people. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, is identifying with sinners. He is assuming his role as humanity's head. He is fulfilling all righteousness. What he's doing, he is doing everything that God requires of humanity to live rightly before him. The sinless one is putting himself in the place of sinners in a baptism of repentance. Isn't that incredible? I hope that thrills your heart this morning. And we see the depth and the riches of what is being shown here in what happens in verse 16 to 17. Jesus, he he gets baptized, full immersion like this. And that means that he will have gone down into the water. Now just think about that for a second. Think about that moment, because I think sometimes we can gloss over this. Jesus Christ, with John the Baptist holding him, was baptized in the water of the Jordan, he went down under the water. Just think, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows what this symbolizes. He knows that this is a foretaste of his death. See, our baptism, it looks back to what Jesus did. But Jesus Christ's baptism looked forward to his death and burial. Isn't that amazing? Just contemplate that for a minute. What love to go down under that water in the Jordan. 
knowing the lengths that he would have to go to to free his people from their sin. Knowing, I believe, the names of the people that he would die for. Andrew, Zara, Charlotte. Knowing your names, knowing this very day as he went down to that water. And then Jesus Christ comes out from the water. Just think what that must have been like. Looking forward to that resurrection day as sin and death and the devil were defeated, knowing the, the joy that he would experience as his people join him in resurrection life. And this wonderful picture that is described for us, the whole Trinity is present in all its glory in this glorious moment. God is showing himself, fully revealing himself here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a unique moment that we are glimpsing. God is lighting up the whole stage showing how everything that has gone before leads to this and is seen in light of this. There's the voice of God the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. What's the Father doing here? Well, he's telling us clearly who Jesus is. See, Matthew's readers at the time, they, they would instantly recognize there's two Old Testament quotes that are being put together here. The first is from Psalm 2.7, the my beloved Son. And in Psalm 2, what happens is the King of God's people is called God's Son. But we know that the kings of Israel, they were very disappointing sons. They all failed. There was a longing and a hope and an expectation for God to send his messianic king. God the Father is publicly declaring the messianic king, God's son, has come. This is him. Exclusive claim. This is him. And there's also a reference to Isaiah 42, verse 1, which will be on the screen. See, in Isaiah 42 to 53, we, we read about the beloved one, the chosen servant, the one in whom God is well pleased. But if you read the flow of, of all those passages, it's a wonderful part of Scripture. We read in Isaiah 53 that the, the role of this chosen servant was to suffer abuse and opposition, and eventually this chosen servant would die for the sins of his people. God the Father is saying, this man is the chosen servant from Isaiah, exclusively showing us this him. In Isaiah 42 verse 1, it's so interesting as you read it, it actually goes on. If you look at it on the screen, I have put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He goes on to say that God's going to put his spirit upon him. What happens in this baptism? The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, fulfilling what is going on here. God is showing us and saying, this is him. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus as God's king, equips Jesus, empowers Jesus in his humanity for this task, to conquer sin, to conquer death, to conquer the devil. Such clarity. The Trinitarian God declaring him this way, my chosen one, your representative. See what happens as the gospel then unfolds. Jesus, he, he begins his ministry and in Matthew 4 verse 17, he declares exactly the same message as John. Jesus says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not a change there in that sense. We relate to God through repentance and faith. Martin Luther is one of the old reformers commented on this verse and he said this, when our Lord Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of a believer to be one of repentance. 
Another commentator said this, I find it really helpful. The Christian life is one of repenting our way forward. That book was written, uh, it was written for those who were struggling in their faith. It was a call to repentance and turn to Christ. You see, repentance is turning from our sin, turning from our selfishness, turning from all the things that we trust in the place of God. And as we turn from something, we by, very, by nature just turn to something. Repentance and faith are the two sides of the same coin. So repenting our way forward means turning to faith, turning in faith to Christ. It actually means looking to Christ, trusting Christ, believing Christ, hoping in Christ. We don't ever live our Christian life outside of Christ. Repentance and faith are never in isolation from Jesus Christ. They are connectors to Jesus Christ. They are, they are roads to real healing, roads to, to freedom. Jack Miller wrote a book called The Heart of a Servant Leader. He's a, been a ministry leader for many, many years. He put, puts it like this in his book. When you turn to Christ, you don't have repentance apart from Christ. You just have Christ. Therefore, don't seek repentance or faith as such, but seek Christ. When you have Christ, you have repentance and faith. What he's saying is seek Christ and its relationship with God in Christ that changes us. So as we gaze and see Christ, what happens is we desire to live rightly, to turn from the things that stop us living that way. And it's relationship with God that causes this. It, relationship and looking to Christ causes us to cast off sin, to cast off selfishness, to live for him in all things, to order and reorder and reorientate our lives all around him. That's what gazing and looking to Christ does for us. I'm in Matthew's gospel at the moment, halfway through it, and just my little devotionals in the morning. And Matthew 13, verse 44 to 45, Jesus gives us two examples of people who, who find a great treasure. That's the way Jesus calls it. He says they find a great treasure. And what happens is when they find this great treasure, they, they sell all they have for this treasure, and they reorientate their whole lives around that treasure, their motivations, their focus, their life direction. It's like a laser focus upon this treasure. And the treasure is the kingdom of heaven. The treasure is Christ. So I've just got two things in light of that. Using that language, seeing Christ as treasure for us to process as we watch these baptisms. First, we see treasure in death. See, these guys, they're going to go under the water when they come up. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the righteous one, the pure one, he died on a cross. And on that cross, he took all our sin. The Bible says that him who knew no sin became sin. And he took, absorbed all of God's anger, all of God's anger at that sin upon himself. He took all of the punishment that was deserved by us upon himself. And so his death for sin became our death. He died for us. Jesus Christ died for those who believe. So in repentance and faith, we are united to Christ in his death. And that means that our sin is gone. Our guilt is gone. The Bible says it's removed as far from the east as from the west. It's gone. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. We are free. We are free from guilt and we are free from shame. It means that sin that you've been carrying or the guilt that you feel or the shame that is just lingering and that you just can't seem to shed. I pray that as you watch this baptism, and as you see these guys go under the water, not only would we celebrate with these guys, but we'd also celebrate knowing the assurance that our sin 
has been buried with Christ. It's gone. You can leave that shame. You can leave that guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to leave that up during the baptisms. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a verse to live by, folks. What a verse to get tattooed on the back of your eyelids and look at every day through. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that would be ringing through your soul as these guys go down under the water, that you would see the treasure that you have if you believe in Christ, in Christ's death, and that you would live, live in Christ's death. We live in and through the death of Christ. And number two, there is treasure in life. Okay, we're going to watch them rise back out of the water. Jesus Christ, three days after his death, he rose from the grave. Death couldn't hold him. So when God decided the time was right, God decided the time was right, Jesus Christ burst from the tomb in resurrection life. Jesus Christ is alive. He was raised physically as a human being, the first fruits of a new creation, and he ascended into the presence of the Father, which means the humanity, physical, new creation humanity is in the presence of God now and for all eternity. Jesus Christ didn't just take our sin, he also offered something. He offered his own perfect life. And God has shown us through this passage that Jesus Christ succeeded where Adam and Israel failed. There is a contrast being shown all through here. See, just after the baptism in, in chapter, chapter 4, what happens is Jesus, he goes into the wilderness. And there's echoes of, of Israel in the sense that, that they were wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He didn't eat. And Jesus is in this place of emptiness, isolation. He's on his own. And he's tempted by the devil. And just cast your mind back to that first representative for humanity, Adam. He's in Eden. He's in paradise. He's surrounded by every good thing. But he failed. He rejected God. He disobeyed God's life-giving word. Remember Israel, God's son in the wilderness and also in the promised land where they had all that they needed, rebelled and failed. But Jesus succeeds. What's being shown here is that Jesus succeeded. He was obedient to the Father. He trusted the Father's word. That's what he gave back to the devil, the word of God. He is our perfect representative. He lived perfectly. He submitted perfectly, not just a lack of sin, but a perfectly lived life. From the cradle to the grave, Jesus Christ lived rightly before God, the way humanity is called and supposed to live. Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness. He did it for us in our place. He was our representative. And he exchanges his righteousness for our sin. Let's just think about that for a moment, folks. Because in our failings and our mess and our cycle, we look ahead sometimes. We look back at our life, yes, but we look forward and say, how? I mess up all the time. I sin all the time. How can God love me? He exchanged his righteousness for our sin. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our shame. Your shame has been covered. How? By Christ. Christ's perfect life. So as you see these guys emerge from this water today, I pray that all of us here are reminded that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. 
lives in you. We have God's Holy Spirit within us. We have resurrection life within us. We have been anointed, equipped, empowered, and enabled by God himself to live rightly before him. We can walk forward living rightly before God in repentance and faith. We can. And I remember, I pray that we are reminded what Jesus Christ secured for us. As I was looking at this this week, I just came across someone's throwaway line, which I found quite stark. The most common word used by Jesus in the Gospels. Don't need to shout it out, just think in your head, how would you answer that? What is the most common word that Jesus uses in the Gospels? Father. Not boss. Father. Father. You know what that means? That you, because of and in Christ, have a father. We are adopted into God's family. And what that means, because of what God has done, it means you're loved by him. It means that he notices you. He notices you. 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 I hope you believe that today. He notices you. And not only does he notice you, he values you. His heart aches for you with a depth of love that you just can't comprehend. And not only that, folks, I think sometimes we doubt this. You need to hear this. God delights in you. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you all because of Christ. So I pray as they emerge from this water, that we are reminded afresh of the Father's love for us, that we are adopted into his family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that Jesus Christ secured every eternal blessing for God's adopted children. We have an inheritance, and the treasure chest of heaven has been opened up for us. So as we close, let's lift our eyes to him. See, in Christ we have the greatest the most beautiful, the most valuable treasure we could ever have. If you don't know him here today, if you don't know him here today, your heart is longing for this treasure. You know that your heart longs. It longs for something. And you've been seeking it in all manner of things. I know that because that's the story of my life until, I, until Christ found me. And what you're seeking in your life much of which you know is causing damage is actually only found in him. It's only found in him. And the words of God through John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ ring out to you today, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you prepared for the coming of God? Will you turn to Christ today? And as we come to our baptisms, though we celebrate as a church family, what a wonderful celebration. And we've got people from different churches here as well. Isn't that fantastic? That we, united together in Christ, the one family of God, celebrating children, proclaiming the wonder and the joy of the gospel. We get to do that together, people from all churches. That is great. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And we're glad that we get to celebrate with you guys too. And as we come to celebrate here today, let us also realize that heaven is celebrating with us. Do we believe that? Heaven is celebrating with us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are here today celebrating with us. And as these brothers and sisters proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and ascension, God the Father speaks over them too. You're my beloved child. In you I'm well pleased. 
Let's pray, and then we'll sing together in response. Father, we love you. Father, we're so thankful. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. Father, I pray today as we watch this amazing gift of grace that you've given us in this baptism, that we get to celebrate as a church family. I pray by your spirit that you would do such a work in our hearts by your spirit that we would rejoice, that we would be moved, that we would not only rejoice for the people who are being baptized today, but that we would rejoice just afresh again, being reminded of the treasure that we have in Christ's death, the forgiveness of sins that our sin is gone, our shame is covered, and the Father, as they burst from the, the water, I pray that you would remind us of the resurrection life that we have, that we can face these days, that we can face the weeks ahead, the years ahead, no matter what brings. Father, I pray that these, as these guys emerge from the water, we would be reminded again of your love for us. Help us by your Spirit to fully grasp the height and depth and length and width of the Lord Jesus Christ's love. Help us, I pray. Cause us to not just sit there with this in the sitting in our souls, but Father, I pray that this would come out of us, that we would sing with all that we have, that we would celebrate with all that we have, that we would rejoice with all that we have. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Amen.